you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Damashek football program available on iTunes and at davedamashek.nfl.com. Now here's your host, Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, football fans. It's your old pal Dave, Dave Damashek. What's going down? I hope all's well wherever you are. Welcome to the Dave Damashek football program available as always on iTunes and at nfl.com slash Shek. If you caught the last podcast that we did, you may have noticed that that little chant, the S-H-E-K, was not there. That's because Black Tie was not behind the glass. He had someone (laughs) in his stead there. That being said, it was a very entertaining podcast, and we had uh, our old pal, the 2013 champion, the Shecky Award winner for our favorite football playing guest, A.J. Hawk, joined us. And then Nate Newton, a blast from the past, a key figure from those Dallas Cowboys of the early 90s, was in here. He proved to be delightful. Speaking of delightful, in just a matter of moments here, we're going to be kibitzing on the telephone Darnell Dockett of those Arizona Cardinals. Some really nice additions there. Looking forward to kibitzing with him and uh, trying to figure out where that team's going to stack up in 2014 against the mighty Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. Man, a rugged division that figures to be next season again. Real quick, though, before we get into some draft talk here, a few very important items I want to let you know about. First of all, at NFL.com slash shooting the Sheck. Not just Sheck, S-H-E-K. NFL.com slash shooting the Sheck. I'm sure you can find it if you just go to NFL.com as well. We did a gaggle of interviews with some of the biggest stars in all the NFL. We talked with Colin Kaepernick, Adrian Peterson, Alfred Morris, Patrick Peterson. Who else? Black Tie. Victor Cruz. Who else was there? We, we And we yapped with all of them about all of it. We did every talk, talk to Jim Kelly, as a matter of fact, and uh, wishing him the best. And he proved to be everybody always says what a great and uh, nice and funny guy he is. He absolutely was. We talked to some other blasts from the past, like Franco Harris. I mentioned Jerry Rice. Caught up with Jerry Jones. Oh, it was just wonderful. So, like I say, one more time, NFL.com slash shooting the check. Make sure you go check that out. And uh, also coming up for you this week, I sat down with Kevin Costner. Dennis Leary and Jennifer Garner in front of uh, the premiere this Friday of Draft Day. The three of them kibitzed with me. We got into a lot of important issues. You may have noticed they're all in superhero movies or have appeared in superhero movies. That comes up as it relates to the NFL. So there's a lot to check out. Oh, plus our off-season training regimen. We took uh, Eric Reed of the 49ers under our wing and uh, played a little Jenga with him. That video is is up there for you as well. So listen, there's a lot of video to look at. All right, right now, speaking of video, the show is uh, Mock Draft Weekly, Thursday nights, NFL Network at 6 p.m., 5.30 p.m. on NFL.com. One of the hosts of that, here he is, the great analyst of the draft, one of our favorites here in 66, Bucky Brooks. What's the poop, fella? What's going on, Sheck? 
Well, Buck, listen, I know this is your busy season, and you don't have time to <laughs> listen to my problems, but I want to tell you something. I went to the doctor, and, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm up there over 40 now. Uh, Are you? Yeah, 43. Are you? Well, then you know the what I went through then. <laughs> yeah, I do. I got the probe. Yeah. He you gotta probed make sure. me. You got to make sure. I didn't need that. That was, a, was, a, was you know. Come on, I got to check your prostate. I guess so. But I felt like, and I told him as much too, I didn't like him getting his, his cheap thrills at my expense. <laughs> Save it for his own time, I told him. He didn't know what to make of it. Then he wanted, <laughs> then he wanted to talk about RG3 because he's from D.C. And my thoughts on RG3. I said, this isn't the time, sir. <laughs> it's not the time? No, not not. Uh... <laughs> you feeling vulnerable? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was vulnerable moment. It was unpleasant, Buck. I, you know, what am I supposed to cheer for that? Now, listen, let's move on. Let's talk about this draft here. And like I say, also, oh, before I forget, also the podcast, Bucky Brooks, College Football 24-7. Make sure you check that out with Matt Money Smith and Daniel Jeremiah and the rest of the gang there. So how's it going? As things boil down here and we're, we're getting, uh, the question I have is, Jadavian Clowney, Blows the world away, apparently, with his draft day, I mean, with his pro day, and then, you know, the the film and all these questions. As I predicted, they would, you know, round about October, everybody was wringing their hands and tisk-tisking. Oh, what's this kid doing? Yeah. You know, he's not working hard. I, at the time, said... You, did. you said it on one of our videos. I said, savvy move by this kid. Shouldn't the guys grading him say, this is a smart play by a guy who understands? All we <laughs> no. ever hear about, this is a business, this is a business. Well, this guy made a business decision, clearly. He's never going to concede that, at least until he's a year or two into the league, and say, yeah, of course I wasn't going to risk getting hurt. I saw what happened to Marcus Lattimore. Wasn't that a great move? But anyway, the, the point is, all the smoke screens and stuff we hear from mm. these teams... Obviously, Clowney has to be the first pick. Why are we still seeing people mock draft anybody in that spot other than Clowney? I, th- I think there's a fascination with quarterbacks in our league, and because of the position and because in the past we've seen people rushed up the board or they kind of pushed up the board because they were deemed to be franchise quarterbacks, you still have that indecision about whether the Houston Texans will really take Jadavian Clowney or if they were target one of those quarterbacks. But I think anyone who is astute and really understands the game sees that Jadavian Clowney is a transcendent star of the position, a guy that you compare with J.J. Watt to make a dominant front seven. And coming off the heels of probably the most dominant defensive performance that we've seen in a Super Bowl, maybe it would only make sense to do Oh, you're saying defense. ever? Maybe. That, you know what? That's an interesting point that immediately sounds like hyperbole. But as I think about it, was the Seahawks' performance against that mighty Broncos offense the greatest the Super Bowl has ever seen in 48 years? Off the top of my head, the Cowboys in Super Bowl six. Um, all, they they held the Dolphins to three, twenty four three. I believe was the final there. Yeah, so that's that a different game. All the rules <clears throat> are in favor of the offense. This was I agree. the offense. I'm, I'm that just no throwing one, out the candidates. No one could stop. The Steelers held the Vikings in Super Bowl nine to six points. Pretty good. Yeah. And they got a safety against them. Yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah. The Ravens, who cares because they beat Kerry Collins, so right. I don't know how much you can not count that one. Yeah, no, that's not good either. Um, anywho, so now as we look here, so you say Clowney is the, the correct choice here. And again, I'll sound like a broken record, but to me, this no, this idea of whatever you call it, a leader otherwise, 
You don't need to have that to win the Super Bowl. You, you just don't need to have th- this idea that you must figure out who that guy is going to be is, in fact, a foolish proposition if you reach for a guy. Witness, Leslie Frazier is no longer with the Vikings. Because Christian Ponder. Because of Christian, Christian Ponder. That's exactly right. <laughs> you think, I mean, the list goes on and on. I think part of it is a media-created fascination with the quarterback and there's a these these elite or these franchise quarterbacks but that's not really the case when you look at the national football league there are probably about five quarterbacks that we would place in that special category and you can rattle them off however you want to do it tom brady peyton manning drew Brees. uh some would put keep going in there some would some would not everyone is convinced that roethlisberger would be you've in left there. somebody else? off who do we leave out aaron Rodgers. aaron Rodgers. so that's it five mm-hmm. so we have five guys that we would say andrew guys, luck no, not yet. Really? No. You don't put Andrew Luck in that group? No. But a steep drop-off after that group? Well, I mean, I think it's a, a bit of divide, a separation. So if we're already talking about 32 starting quarterbacks in the National Football League, why would we ever think that every year a draft class is going to produce a franchise quarterback? Um, well, listen, I agree with you. I would obviously be taking Clowney here. I'm just surprised to see names like Khalil Mack being slotted see, in there by the Texans. There's just no chance of that, right? Well, I don't think he has necessarily the sizzle. I think, like, when have we seen a small school standout taken in the top five be a dominant player? We have to go all the way back to the Mean Joe Green days and all those other things. Uh-huh, like, right. That's not necessarily what you see. Because of the way college football is, the best players typically go to the big schools. You have an opportunity to evaluate them against the elite talent in college football so you have a better situation a better evaluation now not to disrespect Khalil Mack and what he is I think he's certainly one of the top 10 players in the draft I'm just not convinced that he's the number one overall player in the draft which is why I don't think he'd be in that conversation with the Houston Texans I think that the draft analysis from scouts and personnel guys has gotten better because you see Bart Starr was a 17th-round pick. Now, everybody talks about Tom Brady as a 6th-round pick, but that's still 11 rounds better than they did with Bart Starr, right? right? But why do you think, really? What gives already? How With all the, the combine and the pro days and the and all the game, I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, I guess there was coaches film 40 years ago, but still, you get a higher quality. I mean, it has to count for something HDTV on every game, and you can really break mm-hmm. it down. And everything. How can they miss so much? How can you and people in your position miss on the percentage that they... No, I'm not talking about fifth-round picks. That makes sense. But how can a first-round guy bust with well, all mean, the analysis on it? Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's... I mean, it's an inexact science, but if you look at this league, this league... But how? It shouldn't be inexact. It should be, should you should be, be able to do it with Why? about 90% success. No of course! You're, you're watching a guy play! People. You're dealing with real people, and then you have to take real people, put them into schemes, then you have coaching and development and off-the-field issues that could impact whether a guy performs. It's really um, a crapshoot when you evaluate, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to eliminate the factors that will lead a player to bust. Um, no one wants to hear, we want the safe pick, but in essence, what you're trying to do is eliminate all of the red flags that will give you the best chances of finding a player that would be not only a contributor, but a big-time player for your team and your system. It's funny you say that because I just did uh, you know, our animated series that we do, the NFL, where we do the butterfly mm-hmm. effect, and if you change one little thing in football history, how different the rest of it might look. And 1989 is a fascinating example of guys swinging or personnel guys swinging and missing. In the first five picks, four of the guys go to the Hall of Fame. The other one is Tony Mandarich. 
It's remarkable. They go because it goes Troy Aikman to the Cowboys, mm-hmm. then Mandrich goes to the Packers. Right behind that, Barry Sanders goes to the Lions. Derek Thomas goes to the Chiefs, and Deion Sanders goes to the Falcons. It's remarkable. In hindsight, it's easy to play that game, but why Mandarich, you know? Well, I mean, I, th- I think you have to go back to the time. You also have to, whoever had the pick at the time and what the needs were, the Green Bay Packers, I, I want to say, selected him right out of school. And look, guy was a dominant player. He was big. He was massive. He, he, he ran roughshod over the Big Ten at the time. He had everything that you look for from a size athleticism standpoint. Who knew that he was so juiced up that he would break down when he got into the National Football League? Hmm. To his credit, though, he ended up coming back and being a pretty solid player for the Indianapolis Colts at the end of his career. I remember that, So right. I can't call him a flat-out bust. But in the first round, and, and people have to keep in mind, this league is comprised – primarily of first and second round players. Really your first round players are what makes up the league. And even though there are a couple of exceptions to the rules. The, the Seahawks West, will point to that. The players, to the man absolutely. talking to them, all say, we're all a bunch of third and fourth round guys. And, and, uh, and it, that, worked, it worked right. out for them. But that's the exception to the rule. That's not the rule. Like There's a reason why guys are graded like they're graded. It's a reason why they come off the board. Sometimes it doesn't work out because they fall into a situation where it wasn't the best scheme for them, sometimes people reach, reach on players and push guys up into that elite category that shouldn't be there. But really, when it comes down to it, the cream of the crop are the ones that continue to play in the league, and most of those guys are first-round talents. And you're right. And by the way, as the Seahawks go, that is their narrative that they're all a bunch of rejects and people slept on. But of course, they don't win the Super Bowl without Marshawn Lynch, Earl Thomas, uh, Russell picks. Okung, yeah, all these yeah, guys I mean, that are first-round first round, first round picks play. And look for for whatever Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. Uh, have accomplished as fifth-round picks. Like, look, there are a ton of guys. If you go into that draft, because Cam Chancellor was taken in the same draft as Earl Thomas, and I think if you had to pick one of the two, you would go Earl Thomas every time just because of the athleticism and what you saw on tape when he was coming out of Texas as opposed to what you saw from Chancellor coming out of Vitek. It is a guessing game, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to get into the minds of each player. You're trying to also look at the tape and watch them against elite competition because that gives you the best perspective or best projection on what they would be at the next level. And then you're trying to really get a feel for do they fit in the type of scheme that you run at your team. And if you can check the box in each of those areas, the odds tell you that you still will hit. But we've still seen guys who checked all the boxes. Aaron Curry checked all the boxes. He was hmm. supposed to be the safest pick in that draft. Didn't work out. It's, it's always a guessing game. That's why you're best to accumulate as many picks as you can and throw your thart, your darts on the wall. And some stick and some won't, but hopefully the ones that stick are good enough to help you become a better team. How does it happen that a team drafts Russell uh, with Jamarcus Russell? Because I heard before the draft, a lot of people saying, don't draft this guy. He, he ain't going to make it. How does a team, how does a guy like that still end up reaching on Jamarcus Russell? Well, I mean, I think the thing, when you look at Jamarcus Russell, a lot of people now have hindsight and they see it, but... No, I heard before the draft, people no, said, no, I mean, no he's not going to make it. There were some concerns, but look, your choices were Jamarcus or Brady Quinn. Mm. Who else in that quarterback class came out and really did it? I think it was John Beck was in that class or whatever. So mm-hmm. Jamarcus checked the boxes. He was 6'5". He was 250 pounds. He had a strong arm. He played in a big program at LSU. Jimbo Fisher signed off on him and said he was a good worker. He was a good quarterback. Played well in the Sugar Bowl. What else 
would lead you to think that this guy was going to flop. I mean, like, we couldn't have the crystal ball and say, okay, his uncle's going to pass and he's going to fall off the deep end and drink scissor and, and not be the guy that we <laughs> thought. But, like, all of the physical attributes were there. We just didn't know that he was a guy that wasn't going to work and respect the position. All right. All this prelude, really a setup to what I want to talk about with you right now, and that is you talk about the safe pick. And to me, on the human level, I can imagine if you're a GM or whatever, you're the guy pulling the trigger on a first overall pick. In the in your head, it, it can't be, let's go bold here. Even though people may disagree with us, let's go bold here. I can't think, I would think what you want to preserve your job is you take Jadavian Clowney so that nobody can say that. You go, listen, what, what did you want me to do? Of course I had to take this guy. So let's do, though, because there is a range of possibility with these guys. Give me best case for what these guys can be and the worst case of what they might be in the NFL. And we'll start with Clowney. What is... His, you know, results-wise, I don't mean how he looks in his face. Jadavian Clowney, who is his production doppelganger in the NFL, if you know what I'm saying? Production doppelganger, I will say he is most like Julius Peppers Mm -hmm. coming out. So if you think about Julius Peppers' production, the fact that he had, I want to say, double-digit sacks in probably 10 of his 12 years in the league, I think that's, that's pretty good, all the disruptive plays that he's created. And because they have similar kind of mentalities in terms of they always will tease you with their talent, but they may never live up to your expectation of them based on how you perceive their talent to be, but they're still dominant players when they're engaged. And I think if he's right, Jadamian Clowney is very similar to what Julius Peppers is in the league, and he could even be surpassed that. I think he could be on that level of what Bruce Smith has been able to accomplish, Reggie White, any of those guys. He has the potential to be a Hall of Fame-type player based on his talent. But if he's Julius Peppers, I'm absolutely fine with that. But he's playing, but he'll be the OLB in the 3-4, right? It's semantics. He is going to rush. He's going to play the same position that Willie McGinnis played in New England. Uh Willie McGinnis finished his career with 86 sacks. I want to say he's the postseason sack leader with Willie McGinnis because they're long, long arms, rangy, physical, violent. Jadavion Clowney is going to spend – 85% 85% of his time rushing after the quarterback. The game is played in nickel situations on 70% of the downs. He's going to have his hand on the ground opposite J.J. Watt. You can't double-team both guys. Jadavian Clowney will get double-digit sacks from his first season on because he won't see that double-team I mean, that double team attention that other guys will see. And the Texans, by doing that, practically would be good immediately in 24, from game one, rather than taking a QB where you might be hit and miss and trying to figure the out Texans what you have. The Texans want to win right now. I don't think Bill O'Brien is in it for a rebuilding project. Right. The fact that they finished 2-14 and 14 was really an anomaly. I believe you take Jadavian Clowney, put him in, pair him with J.J. Watt, you have a dominant defense, and defense will get you to 10 wins. Now you have to find a way to score points on offense. They have more than enough weapons with Aaron Foster, Andre Johnson, Nuke Hopkins, a good offensive line. They can put up points. They can I right told you, Buck, what the answer is. A.J. McCarron, top of round two. That's their problem solved. A.J. McCarron, Zach Maddenberger, those two guys. I think if you really want to win, if you want to f- connect the dots in a six degrees of separation, Nick Saban played for Bill Belichick. You have Bill O'Brien mm. under Bill Belichick. The way Nick Saban runs his offense, he talks about decision-making, situational football, game management. A.J. McCarron would be a very, very good fit in Houston. All right. Now let's say Clowney doesn't pan out. What's his worst-case scenario, aside from devastating injury, obviously? It would be Jason Pierre-Paul. Really? That's the worst he can be? JPP's pretty good. Yeah, but JPP had flashes, had a great year. 
So there's no bust potential is what you're saying. He can't uh, just be a complete flame-out. I don't think he'll be a complete flame-out. There's no way. Even the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing as a pass rusher and the fact that he was a dominant player in the SEC, no, I don't think there's any bust potential in him. Is that the so, – so the best positions, from what I've gleaned from talking to people like you, is the easiest positions to come in and immediately make, it, make an impact, whatever your – how much you comprehend what's happening on the field. If you're an OLB and they just say, pin your ears back and go, that's pass the rusher, spot. Pass rushers should have an easy transition. And running back. League. Running back because it, you're playing on instincts. You're playing on just natural athletic ability, less about trying to understand and process all the information in the playbook. Next up on our list, best and worst case, Johnny Football. What's his high end? Who could he be like? High end. I would say his high end, he could be like Michael Vick doing his comeback play of the Whoa. year season. Is he that fast, though? No. Can he run away from NFL players? Uh, he's quick. He's quick. He's I think he can fast. dodge them, but can he run away from them? Well, I don't know if he's going to make these 80-yard jumps, but at quarterback, remember, running high 4.5s, low 4.6s, that's plenty fast enough because you're playing against these big lumbering guys, and as the course of the game goes on, those guys slow down. He will still be able ah. to run that and escape. I think at his best, he is Michael Vick. What is it, 2010 when he led mm. Philadelphia, was all over the place, acting crazy? I think that's the best-case scenario. All right. Obviously, I don't know like you do. But it seems to me, I like the way Johnny Football plays. I'd like him on my team if I, you know, I wouldn't over some of the names that we said at the top here. But Johnny Football, to me, it looks like he has to effort to get the ball out there. Does he take too long to get rid of it? I don't know if he takes too long. I think, obviously, he's a smaller guy. Um, his, his arm strength would probably qualifies probably slightly above average, but he puts all of his body into right, it. Right, that's what I'm saying. That doesn't look throws, right to me. He makes these throws from various platforms. They're not necessarily conventional. Sometimes his feet aren't necessarily firmly planted on the ground. But what I will say about this, and this is coming from my time on defense, and I have a tendency to look at quarterbacks from a defensive point of view. He is the scariest to defend because he can extend plays with his feet. He has the athleticism to make plays inside and outside the pocket. He has a good enough arm, but more importantly, he just kind of has that it factor, mm -hmm. that moxie to make plays in a big game. He loves the bright lights and the big stage. And when you have players who have that it factor, who love competing, it's hard to deal with. And when he told me last summer, he told me at the Manning Passing Academy that he idolized when he came up, he looked at Brett Favre, Michael Vick, and Cam Newton. And when you watch his game at Texas A&M, you see aspects of each of those players. I, You know, I, I feel like that is sort of, I completely understand why you hear personnel guys and head coaches sort of get spooked by somebody like that. And if you ask most NFL head coaches who's the quarterback you think is best, they'll go with Peyton Manning or Tom Brady because safe. they play within a – right. There's something safe about them. They're they're conventional. They, they go – they think like coaches, it would seem – and the improvisers are scary. But, of course, it's sort of analogous, I guess, to, you know, maybe producers in the in sports TV or probably certainly in entertainment TV. Producers are kind of like, do it by the script. Please do it by the script. But the one, you know, and, and that's what they want. But the ones who are the most electric, the most dynamic performers, are the ones that oh, you kind of, yeah, let them go. It, it feels dangerous. Don't say anything that's going to get us FCC fines. But you have to roll with that, right? So that's why I believe it's very important who's the head coach and what their background is as the head coach. Meaning, a defensive-minded head coach 
is more willing to live with the flash plays and not the other stuff. So if he goes to a Jacksonville, for instance, Gus Bradley, he doesn't want to worry about, hey, you playing within the system. He'll say, don't turn it over and make a couple plays. Mm -hmm. Because from a defensive standpoint, he understands how dangerous Johnny Menzel is. However, an offensive coordinator or an offensive-minded head coach, ultimately, they want it to always be about their system. Mm -hmm. So the only way they can get credit for the system is if the quarterback stays to the script. That's why you have the splits on what Johnny Menzel is because offensive coordinators are a bit of control freaks when it comes to the quarterback position. They want to be able to make sure that it goes according to the way the play was called in the huddle, whereas the defensive guys make five or six plays, we'll find a way to win, and I can live with it. So Don't put why. my defense in terrible spots is that's basically right. what but they want. Right. That's why Pete Carroll, right. Pete Carroll has an appreciation for Russell Wilson. Uh, last guy is I want to ask about is Blake Bortles. High end, low end. High end, I will say maybe Ben Roethlisberger. Big athletic guy, can mobile, can get on the edge, make some plays happen. Low end, people are going to take me to task on it. Low end, Blaine Gabbert because he's been Ooh. really pushed up and elevated. And I don't know if his game – really matches the elevation and the hype that is accompanying his arrival as one of the top players in the draft. He's much more athletic, though, right, than Gabbard? I think Gabbard is probably a better athlete when you look You're at the You're kidding, really? Hey, look, Blaine Gabbard. I mean, uh, Gabbard's just scared. Bortles. He's just a scaredy cat in the pocket. Is a little what? bit. He's a little timid, a little afraid. But I think when you look at Bortles, Bortles didn't run necessarily well at the combine. But more importantly, when you watched him play against elite competition during his time, South Carolina, Ohio State, he didn't play well in those matchups. Hmm. Those matchups are most like what he will face in the National Football League. So I think it's a bit of a buyer beware when you're dealing with Blake Bortles. Bortles, to me, looks like a uh, looks like he's a 34-year-old man, too. Part of the fascination is he looks the part. I agree he with that, He yeah. looks like a pro quarterback should look like. He walks in. He's 6'4". He's, he's big, sturdy frame. He has a uh, an above-average arm. He looks the part. That's why your guy. I know Todd wants us to rap, but your guy's getting a lot of conversation. Tom Savage. I know, out of pitch. I said that, though. In I said in September, look at this kid sling the ball. Boy, he's got a big league arm, and he cuts the big league figure. And I talked with some scouts, including guys like Gil Brandt, who now Gil Brandt's all about uh, Savage. Yeah, Gil is a little high on Savage. I think when you look at him, he does look the part. He does have big-time arm talent. But it's about how you play the game. And, and when I watched him play the game at Pitt, he's a good player. He's not a great player. He's a guy that you throw a dart at somewhere mid to late, and you hope you hit on him. But I don't think you can take him and say that this is going to be my guy. I've seen Gil talk about he'll be going in the top 40. I don't think his game merits being. A, I agree. A guy with in the the way I, I mean, I always buyer beware when a guy just suddenly ascends after you have tape on him. You know, I have plenty of tape on Savage at this point. Yeah, for, forget everything we saw. Just now look at him in the workout. What? I mean, the, absolutely. Look to his credit, five star recruit coming out of high school. He's one of the top guys in the class when he came out. Went to Rutgers, played as a true freshman, was okay. Lost his job to an unheralded guy. Transferred. Anytime you have a double transfer, he transferred to Arizona, then transferred to Pitt. Part of my concern about him is will he compete for a job in your camp? What will he be like when the adversity strikes? Will he pack it in, take his ball, and go home and run? Or will he stand in there and endure it and find a way to get to the other side? Part of what you need to find out on Tom Savage is all between his ears. Um, all right, we got to get to uh, Darnell Dockett. That's why Black Tie wants us to wrap here, and I want to talk to you more before the we get to the draft. Very quickly, hold on, Black Tie, real quick. 
I want you to just evaluate. Erase what you know you've seen with, from Russell Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Julio Jones. Russell Wilson, would he rank ahead? Where would he rank among those QBs in the draft right now? Football, Bridgewater, yeah, be, Bortles at all. Well, he'd be the top guy. The only problem with Russell Wilson is was his height. His arm is stronger than Johnny Menzel. His ability to play in the pocket. He played in two pro-style systems at NC State and Wisconsin. He would be the top guy. And so I think anyone who went back and really looked at what he did in college, I don't think there were any questions about what Russell Wilson can do outside of his height. What about uh, Tannehill? Would he grade higher right now than the whoever you have at, at uh, number one? Okay, I would I would say in this order. I would take Bridgewater 1A, Manziel 1B, Tannehill would be 3, and then hmm. I would say Bortles. Interesting. Boy, I love this negative – Not neg- it's not abject negativity about Bortles, but some legitimate questions that people have not raised in about two I months people, now. I think people have raised them, but people give him a pass and say that, oh, he's not ready to play right now. But in a year or so, he would do that. Well, based on the way I was taught how you grade players, you grade players on what they are and what they will be immediately as rookies and then what they could be. And I think that you can't give him a pass just because he looks the part, he fits the part. I love these develop. I love these people that continue to indulge the nonsense about, like, well, he's going to have to learn at the knee for a couple of years. Like, well, that doesn't happen anymore. Nobody happen. sits no, behind another nobody guy. Nobody does it. Like, the fact that Aaron Rodgers did it for three years, we saw Carson Palmer do it. But right now, in this microwavable evaluation right. process, we don't take guys like that. Within six games, we're going to say that these guys can or can't play. That's just the way it is. Think about all the conversation with Geno Smith last year. As a rookie playing for a team with, with little weapons, we're ready to chalk him up and throw him out the league. That's just the way the league is, that, it's, particularly it's in It's cuckoo. It really is that when you think about it in those terms, how quick the shelf life is of most QBs. And then you look at Tony Romo going into his ninth year. It's also crazy that he keeps holding on to his gig. Last one, Julio Jones, would he go ahead of Sammy Watkins? Yes, bigger, stronger. Really? Wow. A little more durable. I don't think Sammy Watkins is really head and shoulders above the rest of the receivers here. I think he's a good player, but I think if you took Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham, Marquise Lee, and all those other guys, I think they're all about the same. I think they all will give you the same kind of production in the right system. All right. Bucky Brooks, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. At Bucky Brooks is how you follow him on Twitter. Of course, you want to do that if you care about the draft or you care about an NFL team because he's updating you on both of those things every few moments it seems like of course the uh like i say nfl network 6 p.m on thursday leading up to the draft uh, the uh, mock draft weekly as well as the podcast uh, college football 24 7 bucky always doing good work there and bucky at uh, as a man of 43 you better go get probed <laughs> i'm good i'm good i have until january next year i'm good all right good luck with that okay bucky brooks a delight and uh and now let's move on to darnell dockett all right, here he is, everybody. One of the uh, one of the most entertaining guys in my book, at least uh, on the Twitter. You track him down there at D Docket. Here he is, the superstar of the Arizona Cardinals superstar defense. It's Darnell Docket. What's the poop, fella? What's going on, man? How y'all doing? I'm doing fine. How's your off season going? Man, I'm chilling, man. You know, it's vibing. Yeah, no. where? Are, what? What are you doing? You're in our nation's capital right now. Yeah, I'm here. I'm just having a good time, enjoying the off season, training, you know, staying, you know, just staying in great shape and watching all the free agency moves, you know, break out and, uh, you know, just taking care of my body right now, getting ready for a long haul. Do you go see any sites while you're in D.C.? No, nah, I mean, I live here. I've been living here for, uh, for pretty much for 17 years, so, you know, it's, it's 
pretty much all you know normal stuff for me. I what, don't enjoy that. You don't get into like see the Washington Memorial or like the Lincoln Memorial or any of those. Nah, man, I already have seen all that stuff when I was little, so I don't, I don't go visualize this stuff now. Now my biggest thing is, you know, ducking potholes in the car trying to get up to the store. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about the free agents now. You say you're uh, keeping your eyeballs on those, uh, those as they go along. It seems to me you guys have made a, a few nice additions this off season. How are you feeling about the Arizona Cardinals going into 2014? Man, I feel good. You know. um, Bruce Arians, man, and and uh, Steve Kahn, man, they, they're doing a great job of putting the staff together, man. The front office is working hard. Um, you know, uh, we, we got a tackle, which was a much-needed, um, you know, priority for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we, we addressed that issue. Got a good chemistry, you know, coming back. Uh, we lost, we took a big loss with Carlos going to Cleveland, but, um, you know, so we can get somebody that will play a role Playing to a level as he did last year, but um, you know it's, it's exciting. You know you really want to see all the pieces fall to, fall together. Um, right now we're just looking forward to the draft. You know, getting a couple key pieces here and there for guys that can come in and help us win right now. So, um, like I said, man, our front office is doing an amazing job. And, you know, we got Kamadi in the off season, which is a guy I'm, I'm excited to play with. I had a chance to play with in college. One of the best athletes ever come through Florida State. Um, we got Ted Gann. We won the fashion guys in the NFL mm-hmm. that stretched the field for us. Um, you know, we're bringing a lot of talent back from last year anyway. Our number one line defense. My um, offense improved so much from the last six, seven games of the season. And, um, you know, I'm excited. You know, this is probably going to be one of the best teams we had in a long time. And, you know, we're in one of the toughest divisions of football. Matter of fact, the toughest division of football. And, you know, this is one of those things, man, you have to prepare. You have to, you know, not take a workout for granted, not take an off day for granted, and really home in. You know, um, it's going to be crunch time. You know, um, I feel that three teams out of our division will be in the playoffs this year. I agree with you, and that's I'm not uh, jiving you just because I happen to be talking to you. I think your defense looks as good, maybe even better than San Francisco's right now, and is probably right there with the Seahawks. What about Cromartie and Patrick Peterson? I know you're obviously incented to say the Arizona Cardinals, but who has the best tandem of corners now? And then you also you throw in uh, you throw in Matthew, and that back line you got there is uh, is for real. Is that the best the NFL has going even? Including the Seattle Seahawks, I'm I'm going to feel that way anyway because you know um, my loyalty is with the team I play for, mm-hmm. the team I I've given my all to. Um, I'm going to feel that way, but right now, um, you know, you look at names and things that both of those guys have done over their career, um, retiring, coming off an injury, um, having an amazing rookie rookie year, and Patrick has been one of the most dominant corners in the game since he came in the NFL. And Kamadi, you know, his play speaks for itself. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where we're not going to walk around and say, oh, we got the best secondary in the league or anything like that. Nah, but right now we just want to focus on working hard and gelling together. And, you know, after training camp, OTAs, mini camps, and us um, ironing all our wrinkles and, and playing together and homing in together, then we're able to put, you know, that title out there and so say we have the best secondary. But right now we got, you know, a lot of guys haven't played with each other, so. Um, when you look at a, a, a defense like Seattle, those guys have played together. They got chemistry. You know, they, they work together. They've been in big games. Level. They take losses together. They won Super Bowl. Now. So their chemistry is, is much better than what ours is right now. And 
just because they've played a little, you know, better, you know, um, longer with those guys. So, um, we're right now, man, we, talent-wise, we're one of the most talented teams in the NFL. And this offseason is what's going to make us or break us. And we have to come together and, and um, you know, really work hard and work hard and stay focused on what we're trying to accomplish. And, and not only will we have the best secondary, we'll have the best defensive line, the best linebacker, and try to have, have the best team in the NFL. So um, it's, it's a grinding process, you know. I hear you. And, and by the way, I've talked to Patrick Peterson, Calais Campbell. I haven't met, I haven't had the pleasure of the Honey Badger yet. But then you throw in Washington. I mean, this defense ain't jive. And I also happen to feel that you collectively, as one unit, may be the most delightful collection of guys in all the NFL. The Arizona Cardinals defense is in the running for most delightful group of uh, of characters in the league. How do you say about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I could agree with that. Um, yes. I, I, right now, within a good off season, within a good couple months of training, going to training camp, um, I, I don't really care about being the most delightful. I'd rather most being the most dominant and the most hungriest team, and um, that's our focus. You know, um, we could be delightful in whatever people want to, you know, uh, acknowledge us as. But um, my biggest goal is being a leader, is being one of the guys that's been with the Arizona Cardinals for for ten years now. Is the to say, man, that that is the most um, the best team that's playing together. You know, that's that's my goal is to have everyone playing together and, and just being accountable. Um, no, no matter who gets the accolades, who gets the awards, who gets the you know the, the, the publicity, we want to just be able to focus on win in and win out every week. And you know, that's that's what happens in the off season, and that's my job as one of the leaders on the team. All right, but you do care about being delightful, or at least your tweets say that you care, because you invite people out to lunch and dinner in Miami and everything else. Um, but what is Bruce Arians like? Because he seems subtly delightful himself, and what's more important, as you say, when he comes in there, now he goes from Indianapolis, he turns that into a playoff team, basically filling in for uh, for their ill head coach, then he moves down to the desert there, and you guys immediately turn things around. What is it about Bruce Arians? What's he got going? Um, <laughs> B.A. Be be delightful until you get on the field and he comes out. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the most intense coaches. I, I mean, I can't even say one of the most, probably the most intense coach I've, I've ever had. Um, one of the coolest guys, man. He, you know, he holds everybody accountable, and he wants to win. He, he wants to win by all means necessary. Now, the thing that I like about him the most is that he has his players back, man. That's, that, that goes a long way, you know, especially with a guy like myself. I'm all big about loyalty and, and you know, going to war for each other and, he showed that this past year that he's all about his guys and he'll do whatever he can do to put guys in situations and, and um, just and putting the team first. So um, with that said, man, um, he's definitely one of my favorite guys. And, and like I said, my job is to make his job easy and that's, and that's holding everybody accountable and, uh, you know, working hard and, and trying to put our best foot forward every week, week in and week out. How do you feel about the Kangol hat, though? Hey, that's his swag. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not knocking it. That's that's his swag. Can't nobody pull that off of him. He got about fifty million of them, all different <laughs> colors. So <laughs> it, he'll, he'll never he'll never have he'll never have a day he's not matching. Yeah, we never see uh, like uh, we we haven't seen Pete Carroll or uh, Bill Belichick pulling off a Kangol. See, that's what you have uh, special going with your head coach. Um, everybody, everybody got their own different thing, man. You know, everybody know Belichick got the cut off sweatshirt, uh-huh. five degree weather, so that's the way. <laughs>
Hey, what do you think about uh, your guys, uh, your Florida State Seminoles and Jameis and all those guys win the national championship in football? Then we watch uh, on Monday night UConn win it and all this buzz about one-and-done kids in college hoops. How, how do you feel about that? My opinion is, by the way, all these a lot of people are, I miss the old days of college sports when the, guy, when the guys had to stay four years. Yeah, your nostalgia for what you, you, you watched growing up doesn't mean that uh, kids should have to stay in college for four years instead of becoming multimillionaires. How say you? I mean, you also asking somebody who was brought up without nothing, who was brought up in the projects of Section 8 housing and all that. So when you when you look at me and ask me that question, I'm going to tell the guys if they have an opportunity to take care of their families and take care of, you know, whatever they need to take care of and, and, and help their situation, their family out, then I'm going to tell them to go for it. Um, that's, just, that's just my opinion. Um, I know the game would be better if the college basketball would stay, you know, one or two years and, and keep those guys and develop their game a little longer. But, I mean, who am I to say to turn, you know, go, you know, stay in school and not turn down a million dollars? So, um, I'm all for the players, man. Whatever the players need to be successful, um, to take care of their family, that's the number one priority. The school is making so much money off these athletes and these athletes are not getting paid for anything. Um, if they get a free tattoo, then all of a sudden he's suspended for games. If, if they get a pair of shoes that they might need, then, you know, it's, if they go get it from somebody breaking the rules, the NCAA rules, there's so many rules against these guys, but the university is making so much money off of them. You know, I'm, I'm, I can understand why these guys want to go out and make millions of dollars. So um, I'm all for the players. I'm all for the athletes. And um, not to mention Florida State, the best school in the country right now. We'll probably win the national championship the next two years. We're going hmm. to see this year, and uh, that's just my prediction and just telling y'all what's going to really happen. All right, well, last thing for you then, as we talk about college kids going pro, tell us then with that 20th overall pick, what should the Arizona Cardinals do? Oh, man, I don't I don't know. You know, um, you don't know who's going to be available. Um, you don't know if, you know, one, one thing I know is about Steve Kahn, a general manager, a general manager um, has, has – Put a twist on our whole organization last few years of getting guys in. Um, BA and um, Mr. Bidwell, you never know what they're going to do. They, they're all about making the football team better. So if they can go out and trade up to get a player that we need to help us out, they'll do it. If they want to trade down and get more draft picks to help us, then they'll do it. So I'm pretty sure they're going to do the best, the best for the team. So as far as my 20th pick, I mean, I can't tell you what to do. I mean, me personally, I would love to get Sammy Watkins on our team. I mean, yes. I've been a Sammy Watkins fan for for longest, but you know, probably probably take a probably take a lot to trade up and go get him. He'll probably be a top five pick. Well, see what you can do. See if you can pull some strings and move up in the draft and go get Sammy Watkins. Uh, I mean, all right, yeah. Every time every time I watch Florida State and Clemson, this guy is killing us. So it's like <laughs> Florida State. I know he's going to help some NFL teams out. Uh, and who is, by the way, if you had a first overall, sounds like you keep a pretty good eye. I remember you watching the uh, the Seminoles in the national championship last year with your teammate. Who is the QB that stands out to you right now in this draft? Who would you most want if you had to replace Carson Palmer with one of them? Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm going I'm to I'm go get my boy from Alabama. <laughs> A.J. McCarron. I'm going to go get my boy, man. I'm going to go get him, you know. Um, I think a lot of guys going, you know, the, the guy from UCF going to go early in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Teddy Bridgewater going to go high, and um, you know, a lot of those guys going to really go early. 
And um, A.J. McCarron is a winner at Alabama. Um, he brings along good company, so I would think that he would, he would fit in good for us. Um, and what was that, by the way, real quick, I don't, I just one more thing for you is when you get drafted in that moment and that you hear your name called, what is that? Because mo- to me, I watch the Academy Awards, uh, you know, with the movies, and it's nice when an actor wins, but they're already multimillionaires and they're already famous. Now they just get a shiny trophy. What's it like when you're 21 and they call your name and all of a sudden, and you know you're about to become a millionaire, but that instant, when, that instant, when, when they say your name and you realize, I did it. What is that? What's that feeling like? Do you feel, man, I'm set for life now. Perfect. Um, just because you get drafted high don't mean that you're set for life. I think that's a misconception about pro athletes. Um, you have to, you know, grind your way out, especially with this new CBA. You have to really come in and prove that you can play the baby, get a second and third contract to be able to be set for life. Um, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't the top top first round pick or second round pick so I had to really grind my way to the top mm-hmm. um, you know but but it's a blessing you know it's, it's a blessing that you the work that you put in through all your career some some guys have been playing football ever since they was five to six years old all the way up to 18 19 you know 20 to be able to get an opportunity to be in the league so um, anytime a team is willing to take a chance with you and, and to bring you in and embrace you to to help their ball club, it's a blessing, you know. Even if you doesn't don't get a phone call on draft day or whatever, even if you're a free agent, you know, just to get an opportunity is a, is a blessing. So uh, for me, when I when Arizona Cardinals called me, I I remember the first conversation with Danny Green. He said, "I'm bringing you here to play. I'm not bringing you here to be a rotating guy. I'm not bringing you to come in here and." Um, you know, learn for two years. I'm bringing you in the place. We'll be ready to play. And from day one, I came in. I was started, and you know, I never looked back. And it's starting ever since then. So, um, I just feel like a lot of guys have to get ready to take care, take care of their body, their, their personal issues, leave them at home. And when they show up to camp and off season workouts, you know, you go out and put your best foot forward. But when you do that, you know, good things happen. Um, all right, and uh, here's some good news for you, Darnell Dockett, to wrap it up here. I've looked things over. I've given it a lot of thought. Even before the draft, I can tell you some great news. I think the Arizona Cardinals are no worse, and maybe even better, no worse than the second. Uh, you're going to finish no worse than second place in the NFC West next year, ahead of the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. You know, that's, Congratulations. That's good, yeah, I appreciate you, and, that, and that's going to be a, and that's a good prediction. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, you just can't go out and say, you know, San Francisco's been dominating the division for the last few years. Seattle came along this year and won the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, we feel like it's our time. You know, we, we know what's in our division and we know that, you know, you got to fight to get out of this division. And not worry about no other division but ours. And, and um, I think that's the, that's the best part about training this offseason and understanding that we don't have to worry about beating everybody else outside the division. We got to worry about beating the big dogs in our division. And, um, it's going to be fun. You know, we have something to look forward to, and um, we accept the challenge. And, and right now that, uh, you know, we're just going to gel together and keep working and, and keep making strides to make us have the best football team possible. You know about rivalries, though. You weren't happy that the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. You want to see them lose, right, your division bully? Um, I don't really I don't really care. You know, um, we, we beat Seattle, so to me it right. don't really matter. They, they – um, you know, they came and they played well in the Super Bowl. They beat Denver. Um, everybody thought Denver was going to win. Uh, me, personally, I knew Seattle had a great defense and they was going to play together and they was going to be the underdog. So, um, you know, it was, it was a it was a good game for maybe like like four minutes. And after that, um, it was it was bad. 
but that just lets you know how how physical and good that NFC West is. And um, I looked at all the moves that the Denver Broncos has made in the offseason, and it's looking like they'll probably be the projected team to be back in the Super Bowl again representing the AFC. But um, you still got to go play on Sunday. You know, um, like I said, I've been in the game long enough to understand that you can have a roster full of all-stars, pro bowls, all-pro guys, you can't you can't pay for championships. You can't your names done win championships. It's all about week in and week out putting your best foot forward and winning games and building camaraderie. And you know when you build a camaraderie and you have a team that's playing together, that's the most dangerous team. It's not the team that got 50 million superstars on the team. So um, um, I, I tell my guys that all the time, no matter if you're a rookie, second year guy, third year guy, if we can all play together, no matter who we play, we have a chance on Sunday. And um, when you have a chance on Sunday, that's the best feeling, you know, and that's and that's playing together, you know. No individuals win Super Bowls. It's always about a team effort on both sides of the ball and special teams. So, you know, the, um, you just have to embrace that and understand it. And, you know, we know San Francisco got a, you know, all-pro team. Everybody team went to the Pro Bowl, and hmm. Seattle pretty much the same thing. But you, every time we play them, we, we beat them or we, we give them everything we got. So, you know, it just takes a little bit more and, um, you know, just keep on working. You know, like I said, I think this year's our turn. All right, Darnell Dockett, whether you want to be or not, you are delightful and uh, and obviously an anchor of that uh, great defense in Arizona. Enjoy your time in our nation's capital. Take some time. Go see the Lincoln Memorial. It's cool. He's sitting up there in that big chair. It's nifty. Um, and uh, then we'll look forward to seeing you when you get going in training camp and uh, moving forward into 2014. Yeah, I'm gonna try to seek it out. Uh, send Obama a text and maybe go to, um, to the White House and eat some Popeyes. Hopefully, he'll let mm-hmm. me in. That would be a see. Now, that would be a nice way to spend the afternoon with the uh, with the most powerful man in the in the uh, on the planet eating some chicken. That would be terrific. All right, listen, yeah, Darnell man. Dockett, go enjoy yourself. Catch up and send uh, my best to President Obama and to the fellas on that great Arizona defense. And let's get together sooner rather than later. And uh, it's been a pleasure kibitzing with you once again. Okay, man. Appreciate it, boss. You be safe. All right. So there he goes. The delightful Darnell Dockett. Maybe he could change his name. Like Marvelous Marvin Hagler legally changed his name, so you had to call him Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Maybe Darnell Dockett should do that. Delightful Darnell Dockett. D to triple D is what they would call him. Anywho, all right, we'll uh, we'll uh, call it a wrap here on the show. Thanks to Bucky Brooks. Thanks to Darnell Dockett. And uh, make sure you check out at NFL.com slash Sheck, S-H-E-K. All sorts of good stuff. Shooting the Sheck with Patrick Peterson of the Arizona Cardinals and Alfred Morris and uh, who else? Black Time. I'm, uh, I'm drawing a blank now. All of a sudden. Colin, Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick Adrian, Adrian Peterson, Peterson, Jerry Rice, Alfred Stars, Morris. stars, and more stars and Damashek. And uh, so we have that. We have the latest offseason trainer with Eric Reed, And uh, we have the interview with Costner, Dennis Leary, and Jennifer Garner up there from uh, the cast of uh, Draft Day. Make sure you check out all those things. NFL.com slash Shaq. All right. We'll be back um, later on in the week with more hooey and applesauce for you. In the meantime, though, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. 
That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.